everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show we have Danny Johnson, who is the co-founder of Red Thread Research, a human capital research and advisory firm. Thanks so much for joining us today, Danny. It's really good to be here, Matt. Well, it says on your LinkedIn company page at Red Thread Research that the reason you all founded the company is because you are data geeks and you are people geeks and you can't imagine doing anything else professionally. So I want to learn why you think the intersection in data of, of data and people is such a vital thing for businesses to understand. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question and probably a really long one. I'll try and give you the short version. Uh, I think there's a big fear right now that robots are taking our jobs and we associate data with being able to um, make things more efficient and, and automate them. But what we're actually seeing in the space is that data actually helps us make the, the, the workspaces where our employees work more human. We're able to understand them a little bit better. And when we're able to understand them, we're able to get the most out of them. And so we see a really, I hate to use the word synergy because it's such an 80s word, but we see a synergy between studying the data and studying the people, um, the qualitative and the quantitative to bring some of these insights to the market. It's, that's fascinating. And I think it's kind of, it feels a little bit like a, a Herculean thing to jump into given there are so many different paths to take. So where do you start when, when an organization comes to you where do you guys see the opportunity to make the, a big win early or, or where do you want to tackle first or what sort of questions would you have for a company? Well, we're a research and advisory firm, so we're not very often looking at individual organizations. We're generally looking across all the organizations. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're generally looking for trends and things that we're seeing in organizations. One of the things that we're seeing more often is the humanistic aspect. And I think we've all sort of experienced this in the last six to eight weeks. Uh, we tend to be more human. And so and we've recently done some research on responsive organizations, what helps organizations respond to external threats and opportunities faster. And it turns out people play a really big role in that. And so the more that we trust our people, the better off we are. And so if an organization came to me and asked for my opinion on quick wins, I would look at ways that I could distribute authority and help people grow and show respect for employees because they are the ones on the edges of the organizations that actually help it move. Hmm. Has it been hard to get people bought into how important this is? Or do you feel like we as a society and we as professionals are, are really bought in on how important the people component is? It's more about uncovering what you guys are seeing in the market and then distilling that into actionable insight for an organization or a professional to, to take action on? It's a really good question. I mean, for the last, I don't know how many years, 50 years, we've been talking about every single organization we talked to is like, our people are competitive advantage. The problem is that that often is just words or a model that they stick on the wall. What we're seeing really is that organizations, all right, so at the beginning of the industrial revolution, Taylorism sort of took hold and efficiency became a really important thing. And we started using people like cogs in a machine. And we've been doing that for many, many years. And I think about 20 years ago, we woke up and we're like, wait, people are thinking humans and they have abilities that robots don't have and never will have. We should be leveraging that. But it's taken a while for these organizations to sort of move away from their command and control and make no mistakes and let's work on efficiency to a much more sort of collaborative, we learn from mistakes, mistakes are data, um, give people authority to try things and, and, and see where those things can take us um, as far as innovation and progress go. 
How much harder does this get in a remote work environment? Obviously thinking about both the current time, but also probably the trajectory that we were on um, before COVID-19 became, you know, in, in common phrases um, around every kind of boardroom and every office building. How, how much harder is some of this stuff when we're fully working remote? You know, I'm going to be biased here because I've been working from home for the last 15 years. Um, I worked for now, this is the third company, the one that we own, uh, the third company where I've had a, a work from home situation or a remote working situation. I don't think it's any harder to build relationships and take care of your people than it was before. I do think the fact that we're getting much better at data is really helpful. And I really do think the last eight weeks have accelerated our abilities to look at people uh, as people instead of as money, basically. We, we tend to uh, be trending toward taking advantage of, of the, the humanistic aspects of people and really uh, not just personalizing the experience so it's better for them, but taking advantage of those things that they can do to leverage it into um, advantages for the organizations. Well, you know, starting a company is a risk and, and we all face a lot of risks in, in our day to day. How, how did you approach that risk and maybe how do you approach risks more, more broadly now that you're, you're in the thick of, of having this functioning company and, and having organizations depend on you? Yeah, I, I don't think we can afford not to take risks. Um, we've done some research just kind of looking at how responsive organizations are and, and those organizations that focus on the things like cost cutting and becoming more efficient, make really, really tiny, small um, incremental changes and small incremental progressions. And in times like this, like we've seen in the last, you know, eight, eight weeks, that devastates organizations. Whereas organizations who are more apt to take risks um, tend to fare better because they're, they're able to think in terms of what the risk can bring versus what the risk can devastate. Uh, on a personal level, it was the next step. My, my co-founder, Stacia Gower, and I have always wanted to start uh, organizations. Um, we saw it as freedom, <laughs> frankly, um, and it was completely worth the risk to us, and we're incredibly glad we did it. Well, it's definitely, it's been, been a successful journey so far. What, what do you wish you knew um, when you started out, if you kind of had a crystal ball at the beginning process of, of, of starting a company and, and beginning that journey, now that you can look back, what, what, what advice would you give your prior self? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is simplify. Um, even doing simple things tends to be fairly complex, but looking back on the last two years, I see all kinds of places where we could have just simplified everything. Um, so that would be my number one piece of advice in small organizations and large organizations. Pay attention to the things that are really value add and let everything else sit on the back burner. Hmm. How do you organize your day? I, I don't want to make it a conversation about like productivity hacking or, or anything. Yeah. Like that. Um, you obviously have a, a business to run, but then there's a ton of other stuff that, that is going on in the background. Anything that has allowed you to kind of optimize your time that, that maybe as, a, as an offshoot to that question differs from when you weren't the owner of the organization, yeah. you had to change your, your, your productivity. Well, I think there's a tactical aspect to that and a strategic aspect. The tactical aspect is our entire organization lives and breathes Asana. Um, it doesn't happen unless it happens on Asana. And so um, making sure that we use it as a communication tool and making sure that we uh, use it to prioritize the work that we need to get done is very important. Um, and then regular check-ins with team members to make sure that everybody knows where we're going and what we're trying to do. 
So that's the more tactical aspect of it. The more strategic aspect of it is a little bit more sort of pie in the sky, but we spend a ton of time listening to the market and reading, which is critical to our, what we do for a living, we're researchers. But, but even more than that, I think leaders in general could benefit a lot more just paying attention, reading, seeing what's happening in other industries and deciding how they can use those things in their organizations. It's helped us, um, I think, take more risks it's, it also brings a sense of sort of calm to the crazy if you can find other organizations that are thinking clearly through things um, and use them as models. So just the continuous learning and the continuous reaching out and looking for different things outside the organization has been critical to us. One of the, one of the things that, that your organization um, posts a lot about is kind of the whole, the whole concept of the future of work and what are we maybe not either enough prepared for or what is going to surprise us two, five, 10 years in the future, realizing it's hard to prognosticate, but, but what should we be doing now to prepare for that future of work, even though we don't necessarily know for sure exactly what it's going to look like? Yeah, let me just get out my crystal ball and see. I think the, the, the number one thing is that we don't know what's coming. Like you mentioned that in the question itself, we don't know what's coming. The way that we've organized our, our companies and our organizations for the last 100 years, 150 years, is command and control central. Um, and that is not going to work in the future. If you think about the scrambling that had to be done in the last uh, eight weeks, it was a lot. Um, but I've heard some really interesting success stories like, you know, we were going to implement teams over a two-year period and we ended up doing it in two weeks. All of these things were, that we think take a lot of time, we have a theory that change management doesn't take nearly the amount of time that that we've given it in the past and that it's going to become even shorter in the future. So being able to adapt and building the mindset for adaptation into the business, I think is, is crucial. So we've kind of talked a little bit about it and, and a lot of your answers have hinted at it that there's a real component of leadership here um, in anything, any sort of change or any sort of successful um, path that a, that a company or an organization goes on what do you kind of think are some of the traits that make successful leaders in agile organizations that can handle disruptions that aren't expected, um, like what's happened recently, but also just the, the necessary disruptions to get your organization to a successful endpoint? Yeah, I think the number one thing is curiosity. If you're curious, you're always looking for better ways to do things or new ways to doing things. You're questioning why things are the way that they are. You're not just accepting the status quo. So. If, if I think about what a leader needs in the future is an insatiable thirst for knowledge and curiosity about the world around them. For, for those of us who don't operate in the, the research space, how has it changed over the years? What, what are you all able to do now to get those critical insights that just wasn't possible in the past? And, and then I guess, where do you potentially see it going um, and kind of enhancing your profession and your ability to create those reports and, and put that actionable insight out into the market? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, I think the traditional way to do research is spend eight to 10 months putting a survey out, crunching the data, figuring out a model, writing a report, publishing that report, and then hoping that somebody pays attention to it. Um, I think those days are over. And in fact, some of the, the new ways that we've seen research being done is kind of incredible. We're, we're seeing things like AI and natural language processing and sentiment analysis and um, using latent data or, or digital exhaust to get information. It's not all about surveys anymore and it's not all about what people think. We actually have the ability now to see how people are reacting. So, so it's a different ball game. 
the other thing that I think is really interesting is it's not about it's not just about the quote unquote thought leaders anymore. One of the things that Station and I realize is that we're not we're not always the smartest people in the room. Often we're not, and a lot of times uh, leaders who are implementing these things in organizations have really valuable insights. We used to collect them uh, by way of interviews, and we still do uh, when when we can. But what we found even even more I don't even know how to extract even more useful is bringing those leaders together and having them talk to each other. Hmm. Um, we just completed four roundtables, one after another every week, where we got a bunch of leaders together and let them talk about what it takes to be a responsible organization, gave them a little guidance and let them go. And the insights that we got out of that kind of experience versus a one-on-one -on -one or a survey, it's just leaps and bounds better. So obviously everything has a, there's a finite amount of, of time in the day. And one of the things that you mentioned was kind of a, a curiosity or, or a component of curiosity being so vital for leaders. If I turn the, the question kind of back on you, what are you the most curious about right now that maybe surprises you that, that you didn't think would, would be at the top of your list of things you want to investigate more? Interestingly, gathering. Um, I'm reading a few books right now on the art of gathering. Um, the, the main point of many of those books is we've gathered in the past just because that's what you do. You have a birthday party and there are certain things that you do in that birthday party. And it, these, these books are sort of questioning that whole thing, which I think is really valuable in a, a time where it's more difficult to gather in person. And there's such Zoom fatigue is a real thing. And so how, how do people gather? Why do they gather? And how do you make those gatherings really important and impactful rather than um, status quo? So I, I didn't expect to go there, but it's been a really interesting sort of dip into psychology and sociology that uh, that's been really valuable to us. And and as a as a leader yourself, what do you try to seek out um, to for your own development? How have you tried to um, grow as a leader? And then and then where would you like to focus? Where would you like to see yourself as a leader in the next six to twelve months? Yeah. So I think the number one thing is is communication. So how do you communicate and and inspire? with that communication. How do you, and, and that leads into the, what are we gonna do for the next six months? How do you empower a workforce? It's not just about telling them what to do or giving them opportunities to learn. It's, it's basically, how do you fuel that curiosity? And how do you allow for failure and use it as data to help your entire organization grow? And if you yourself you know, just found out that you were working with a new leader, what sort of skills would you want them to possess in order to bring the most out of, of you as somebody who is driving your organization forward? That's a really good question. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I think it goes back to a couple of things that I've already said, the ability to communicate clearly, um, not just about what is happening, but, but about motivations. They tend to be very important in situations like this. Um, and then the other one is curiosity, like give, give, how do you find the space in the work to foster that curiosity, not just in me, but in everybody in the organization. So I know you have no sense or none of us have a typical day and you probably more than most. But one of the reasons I was so interested to talk to you is that the whole concept of what you do is, is fascinating. So if you had to describe what a typical day looks like before I move to our rapid fire questions, how would you describe what a typical day looks like for you in your field? Yeah, well, I can tell you what today looks like. There isn't a typical, as you mentioned. Um, I woke up, first thing I did is had a conversation with somebody about how we are going to do a research sprint, which is a new thing for us. Second thing I did is I spent an hour and a half reading everything. I have a feed that I, I read 
that includes uh, pieces from everywhere uh, because that's how you make connections in research. Um, I just, just barely prioritized my to-do list. I'm doing a webinar right now or a, a podcast with you right now. I'm going to write an SOW this afternoon. I'm going to do a video for the, the roundtable that we did yesterday and then write a blog on it. And then later tonight, I'm going to spend some time thinking about responsive organizations and how we can best uh, summarize qualitative and quantitative ideas to people so that they can use it more readily. Well, that is a great spot to, to end the conversation because it sounds like you have a lot that you still need to get done for the day. But before we end the conversation fully, I'm going to shift to our final uh, two rapid fire questions that we ask all guests. And the first one is, if you could describe your leadership style in one word, what would it be? This was rapid fire? <laughs> <laughs> I wish you would have warned me that. Um, I, I guess it would be hands off. If I were describing my leadership style, it would likely be hands off. I love it. And the last question is, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Go for it. Well, thank you so much for joining the show. Um, where can listeners find out more about you and your wonderful organization? Yeah, so I'm pretty active on LinkedIn just because of what we do, um, but also redthreadresearch.com. Right now, memberships are free, so go see what we have. Perfect. Thank you for all the great insight, and I will thank all of our listeners. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate you sharing this show and all of our shows with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer, and you can find our organization Ability, that is A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E at Ability.com. And be sure to subscribe so that you get our next episode. And I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast. 